What is Crackalackin' Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host Adam Promo. I am ever pleased to drop the second of our three-part super duper mega playoffs primer. We have Brian Taporek, my good friend and longtime colleague over at Bleach Report, is back. He's a senior quality quality editor there. Excuse me. Follow him on Twitter at B Taporek. That's at B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. He's also the co-host of the NBA podcast, where they talk about, you guessed it, the NBA podcast at large. Go over there, rate, review, subscribe to them at the NBA pod on Twitter. He also covers the NBA, the Sixers, and a salary cap over at Forbes Sports. We're getting into the three series that we did not cover in the previous episode. If you're looking for in-depth dives on Grizzlies Timberwolves, Bucks Bulls, and Mavs Jazz, we already did those. We're going to get into Net Celtics, which... By the way, we talked about this before the report came out that Ben Simmons is looking to play in games four to six. We did hedge there a little bit, but just so you know that. Warriors Nuggets, we also tackled that before we had the news that Steph would probably be ready for game one, but we acted as if he was going to be ready for game one. So how do you like them apples? And we close with the Sixers and the Raptors. We get into a lot of great stuff. My final housekeeping notes, though, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, especially subscribe if this is your first time listening. If you've done all those things, we ask that you help us promote the pod, retweet it, tell your friends, family members, random people um, on the internet about us. Let them know that we put a lot of work into covering the NBA at large as thoroughly and not as insufferably as possible. Um, or as sufferably. I don't even know how to phrase that. And also just follow us on all the socials. We're on TikTok and IG at hardwood underscore Knox on IG at hardwood Knox on TikTok. I am posting original content there in addition to clips from the show. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com, hardwood Knox. We will come up. You can search hardwood Knox if that does not work and join our discord. We had a few new members after the last episode. We're looking to have a lot of fun in there. Things have been quiet. I think on nights where there haven't been games, but we have a bunch of people in there. Um, it can be a lot of fun during game time. Come hang out. The link is in the podcast description. You can DM me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E, if you do not otherwise, if you're not able to access it for some reason. With all of that out of the way, let's go talk some more about the riveting, or at least they should be, 2022 NBA playoffs with Brian Taporek. Now do you want to do Brooklyn and Boston? Yes, please. Overarching thoughts on this series, which is just, I don't, I don't even know what to make of it. I, everything in my gut to, I mean, well, here's the first question. And I don't think we necessarily have the answer because I know he's been out for a while, but Boston has sat guys. Then they were playing other teams that sat guys. How much does not having Robert Williams, the third impact Boston's defense? Bruce Brown seems to think it will. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, caffeine pride is for what Kevin Durant said. That was caffeine pride talking. That's my new favorite. I didn't see that. That's fantastic. Every time just... I say something inflammatory or stupid on the pod, I'm just saying it's caffeine pride. Sorry. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't. I knew KD was not a fan of the comments. I did not see that specific quote. Wow, that's awesome. Look, he, um, needs, to put, he needs to put more respect on Bruce Brown's name. He's shooting 54% from three over the last month. He's doing like little playmakings out of the short roll, basically. Yeah and doing what he does on defense. So Bruce Brown can say whatever the fuck Bruce Brown wants. Yeah, without Bruce Brown, they lose to the Cavs, and they're in the they're playing Miami instead of the Celtics. So he can uh, – Bruce Brown, honestly, might be their third best player right now. Oh, my God. Uh, you're probably not wrong because the other candidate would be 
It hasn't been Seth Curry, that's for sure. Yeah, Seth Curry's I, on a bum ankle. It might have been Nick Claxton, which also isn't mm. necessarily like great news, but I love Nick Claxton. So yeah, switchable bigs are are my favorite. Yeah, but it's a fair question going back to how it affects their defense. Honestly, it might not matter because their perimeter defense is so good. Like this is another one where you know I know the Nets are still considered one of the title favorites out east and. There is a chance that they win this series because Kyrie and Kevin Durant are just so singularly great that, I mean, you know, with, with the, the playing game on Tuesday, it's like the Cavs cut down the Nets lead and seemed like they were going to get back to that game. And then every single time they did, Kevin Durant just pulls up for a mid-range jumper. It's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to keep you guys just enough at bay to maintain this lead. Um, now, I mean, the, the Celtics do have plenty of options to throw at him but Robert Williams would have been a key piece for both Durant and Irving just preventing drives to the basket for Irving like with all due respect to the 86 year old Al Horford who has you know been good this year he is definitely not going to be the same type of defensive presence but I just think especially like that it makes me so mad how well the Derek White trade worked out for the Celtics but between him, Smart, Tatum, Brown, like they have a number of options to throw at both of those guys. So it, I think they'll miss Williams in this series, but that won't be the reason they lose if they do lose. I'm almost wondering, uh, I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise, but it forces you to, I mean, in one, look, when the Celtics play Horford without Williams, plus 6.5 points per possession, uh, per 100 possessions on the season, still have an elite defense. I'm just wondering because of Brooklyn's setup specifically, I don't know that you necessarily want two bigs on the court for an extensive yeah. period of time. And just looking at how the Cavs went after Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving down the stretch of that playing game, Boston is built to do the same thing and do it better. You still put yourself in compromising positions, but if you're playing Tatum and Smart and Brown and then White instead of Williams and Horford and then Horford's in the middle, like is it a little easier to do that? Because like you just have those four perimeter guys who can fly around, or maybe it's hey Marcus Smart, like you can just stay on Kevin Durant, or you can just stay on Kyrie Irving, and then we'll go after the other one and try and force the ball out of their hands. And even if it's we're just gonna throw everything we have at them, regardless of who it is, that lineup where you have those four perimeter players is just built to recover a lot better, I would think, than Williams Horford in the front court. This all goes without saying I'd prefer to have Williams in the front court of that lineup than Horford just because he's so much quicker on the perimeter now. But I think the one big setup actually makes a lot of sense for Boston in this series, which is not to say I think that Williams injury is a blessing in disguise. I just don't know that this is the matchup in which it will materially impact them as much. Yeah. And I mean, they still have Tice. They still have Grant Williams as well. And like the Nets don't have a dominant big. Like if they're going against, you know, if Boston is going against Giannis or is going against Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, Williams' absence would be much more concerning. But you no, know, you're living with Andre Drummond taking anything that isn't a lob dunk or just an offensive putback. Uh, if it means getting the ball out of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving's hands, so. Yeah, I think, or I mean, Bruce Brown led the team. I just praise Bruce Brown, but, you know, led the team in that playing game with 19 shot attempts. You will live with all 19 of those if it means KD and Kyrie are not taking those. So 
I'm with you. I think that the four, you know, smart white Tatum Brown, like you can basically tell them, all right, smart and white, you take turns on Kyrie and Seth, and then Tatum and Brown, you take turns on KD and whatever one of you guys needs a breather, you can defend Brown on the short roll. Like I, I think the Celtics match up defensively really well against Brooklyn and the Nets do not match up really well defensively against Boston. The I have so many big questions for this series, but sort of you touching upon this, what is Brooklyn's most used five-man lineup in this series? Or what is Brooklyn's closing lineup in tight games for this series? We know that they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like Those are set in stone. I'm a, yep. Is Bruce Brown also set in stone at this point? I think he has to be just again for defense defense primarily but how they use him as like a de facto big man uh i think he's got to be in there we saw a lot of nick claxton i think he probably is in there as well and then that fifth spot it's like whichever one of seth curry patty mills goran Dragic is shooting the best that night would be my guess i'm wondering if this is the series and maybe not because they have horford where you know, we saw it. They closed the game against the come from behind victory against the Knicks, where it was Kevin Durant and Bruce Brown in the front court. I'm wondering if we see those looks at all in this series. Do they take Robert Williams's absence as an opportunity to try and do that? I'd just be, I'd be curious to see. Um, especially, I mean, if yeah, if they have Daniel Tice playing, like that might even be more of a incentive to do that, just because mm-hmm. he's not going to be able to keep pace with that lineup. Bruce Brown already implied that he's catnip apparently to <laughs> offense i'm when you go through the matchups though for Brooklyn on defense and i think they've overachieved at points defensively this season it's yeah. almost entirely because of unlucky opponent shooting like and they do have a fairly good shot profile like more recently like they were in the top five of opponent three-point attempt rate and so like that can that can be a part of scheme but it also just might be because their interior is so inviting um and when Andre Drummond isn't on the court, essentially that, that 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 ups the volume there. What is like who is guarding who for the Nets at this point? Like who is drawing the, you know, Bruce Brown's going to get somebody, right. but like who is Brooklyn's second most important like, perimeter defender again in this series? Because I think you can make the case that Claxton's just their most valuable defender in general. It's got to be Kevin Durant, right? Like, I, I assume Brown and Durant are going to just switch back and forth between Brown and Tatum throughout the series because they have no other good options unless, you know, Ben Simmons is able to make his debut at some point. <laughs> ben Simmons is back could be the X factor for this series. It, it honestly could be. Like, I, I'm very skeptical that he actually does play. And, you know, if he does, I can't imagine they're like, all right, you haven't played basketball and. 10 months at this point go play 35 minutes a night so like you know maybe they play him for 10 15 20 but like who who else do they have they don't have another good option to defend either of those guys uh no they don't and i was i was also going to say like boston's half court offense the look and feel of it sometimes is spotty but they've been first in half court efficiency since the trade deadline (laughs) so it's just like you're going to just run out of, and they have so many guys who can at least hit shots. Maybe they're not always making these complicated plays, but who are you putting Kyrie Irving on yeah. in this series? Um, like, in, it's just... Or Seth Curry. Yeah. Like, I, I just think Boston is going to have so many guys they can hunt 
Like, I think when Seth is on the floor, they will hunt him. When Patty Mills is on the floor, they will hunt him. When Dragic is on the floor, they will hunt him. When Kyrie's on the floor, they're going to go after him. Uh, you know, Kyrie has played well defensively in stretches, but he, is that going to sap some of his offensive efficiency? Like, if he's not having one of these unconscious shooting nights, is that going to turn the tide in a game or in the entire series? So it, it just feels like Boston has so many more areas to attack. And you bring up a good point. Like maybe the Nets just double down and say, you know what, if we can, if we go small and we do do Durant, Brown, Kyrie, Seth, and either Patty or Dragic, sure. Maybe Horford mashes up on mashes us on post-ups. But, like, we'll live with that because, again, it's a math problem. Like, we trust that we're going to knock down enough threes that an Al Horford post-up is an A, just not super efficient in general, and B, is only going to be worth two points instead of three. Yeah, I just – the math there starts to – but, again, they have Kevin Durant. The other thing here is I'm going to set – the they've both averaged about 40 minutes since the middle of March, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. What is – our I'm going to set the over-under at 41 for each of them. Are you taking the over-under in minutes for this series? Over for Durant, for sure. But, I mean, that's, you know, it's concerning. It's like you hope he stays healthy, but at a certain point, I mean, he's just had to play so many minutes for this team, you know, 37.2 on the year. Now he missed, you know, 27 games, and Kyrie has missed 53. So fresh legs potentially. but you know, we saw some signs of Kyrie like fading down the stretch of the regular season. And Steve Nash was saying like, that's just part of him just getting back up to being a full-time player. It's like, well, that probably could have been rectified earlier this season. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I don't remember, I know they released the full schedule, but like, I don't remember if they have a two days off at one point, but you know, they're playing almost every other day at this point. And he's and, looked gassed in a couple of fourth quarters. I'm not even trolling him, but like, yeah, you're going from one to two day work weeks to like four day work weeks. Is it like that's three or four day work weeks and you're playing this type of load up uh, this minutes load. It's, it's at least a factor in this. And look, it's not going up against the Knicks. It's right. not going up against, I mean, actually the Cavs defense is exhaustive, but like you're going up against Boston's defense, which has been the best in the league for basically the entire year. Yeah, yeah, and like you have to go against Marcus Smart and Derek White. You you get no reprieve. Yeah, so I'm just, which leads me to well, we have to. I was going to jump to predictions. Who's your X factor for Brooklyn in this series? Assuming that Ben Simmons does not play, I will say Bruce Brown. Which, actually, it would be your thoughts on Ben Simmons aside. Like <laughs> it would be stupid. To bring him back now, right? That puts him in just yeah. a no-win situation. Just It's not the fact that he hasn't played in a year. It's the fact that this is also a new team. And yeah. you're just going to integrate him in midstream of a playoff series against what's been the second-best team in the East all season and arguably the best team in the East for, for half the season. I just don't... And, Theoretically, he makes so much sense defensively yeah. because they just don't have guys who make sense defensively. <laughs> but I've questioned, and most people disagree with me, I've questioned his offensive fit. He is used, yes. I know he played in the dunker spot in Philly, but he's used, that wasn't the best version of Ben Simmons. He's used to having the ball in his hands. 
And while Katie and Kyrie can space the floor around Ben Simmons, I doubt either of them want the ball out of their hands that much so that they can kowtow to Ben Simmons. And the whole, I would be fascinated by seeing Ben Simmons as the screener. It's not something we saw a lot in Philly. So it's not just something that he's done. And when he did do it, like the result were, the results weren't great. So I'm just, there are so many questions that you need to answer. Do it in training camp. And also back injuries are fickle. I'm just, I know there's going to be the discussion. Oh, should Ben Simmons come back? There was the video of him hitting jumpers uh that the nets posted i don't know if you saw what i posted on that though i quote tweeted it with the the first time like sixers fans reacting to nets fans saying this oh first time ben simmons yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I am so happy i do not have to fawn over ben simmons workout videos anymore i'll say that much but i completely agree with you it I, like i wrote a post over at forbes late in march i think where it's just like I, it just feels like they're running out of time on this season like i i just don't see a way for all of the reasons you mentioned, especially offensively, like, yeah, okay. He would make sense of the Bruce Brown short role, uh, the short role role <laughs> that he was playing, but I don't think teams defend Ben Simmons the same way that they do Bruce Brown. Cause Bruce Brown is at least willing to take jump shots or take floaters or take three pointers. And, you know, unless Ben comes out and is more willing to do that in Brooklyn than he was in Philly. Like, I think, Boston in particular that has had a lot of success defending him over the years, especially in the playoffs. Like, again, it just comes down to specific personnel. Like you can put Jalen Brown on Ben Simmons and you still have Tatum to put on Kevin Durant or vice versa. And I don't think that's a winning matchup for Ben Simmons. Like you're, you're, you're expecting nothing out of him as a scorer, except in transition. I think the only hope is, Know, his rebounding, his playmaking, and his defense can help swing a game. Who's your X factor for Brooklyn in this series then? Yeah, it, it's Bruce Brown. Um, I mean, I, they're just going to need someone else. I Like Seth Curry's been dealing with this ankle injury. He's just not himself. Um, you know, Maybe they can get these multiple shooting lineup going, and maybe that can you know play – the Celtics into, or like the, you know, the Nets can play any of the Celtics bigs off the floor, but even if they can, like I, you know, put out Peyton Pritchard or put out Aaron Neesmith. And I still think the Celtics have a better five man group than the Nets do. So they need a lot out of Bruce Brown on both ends of the floor to have a chance of pulling this upset. He's my instructor as well. And there's also just the notion of, yeah, they're going to put him in actions on offense, so it, it'll be a little bit different. But when he's not directly involved in the action, I would hazard that Boston is just basically not going to guard him. Like they, yeah. I know he can cut, but like they're not going to read into his three-point percent. They're going to be, hey, make these. Yeah. If we're going to die by Bruce Brown three-pointers, fine. I'm tempted to go Claxton just because of – I think he'll end up being the most played big for them in this series unless they tilt really toward, toward small ball. And we also saw how he can help um, in a game like Cleveland's where if the Celtics try to cater towards their hyper-versatile lineups. I even thought about like because of Seth Curry's injury and just if they decide to lean in the offense, I think Patty Mills could become like the X factor there. But it's Bruce Brown just because of the workload he's going to have to shoulder defensively. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Speaking of injured stars, and Luca, as we're recording this, is doing some work on the exercise bike with Maxi Kleba. So okay. Mavs, and, Mavs and five. Uh, <laughs> Nuggets, Warriors. Steph has that foot injury. 
We haven't heard anything on as of this recording about whether he's going to play. I think the assumption is that the sort of extra week off is going to do him just fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm of the mind that if he's going to play, I trust that he's going to be really good because he is someone who has had to come back from injuries, even in the playoffs before. And he's just such a, he's just so fucking great. Like there's just, you're not going to get me to doubt uh, Steph Curry, but Nuggets won't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. Warriors probably will have Steph. What are just your overarching thoughts on this series? Oh, we didn't do predictions for Nets Boston. My God, I'm a terrible podcaster. (laughs) Who do you have in the Nets Boston series? I have Boston in six. And I almost want to go Boston in five. Um, I think Kevin Durant can single-handedly win one of their games. Maybe Kyrie does as well. But the matchups are just so bad for Brooklyn against Boston. It just feels like Boston has more answers than Brooklyn does. I'm going to double down on my take that I just don't view the Nets as contenders this season. And it's not through any sort of just malice or agenda. The defense, I think, is just going to be abominable against better teams over the course of a seven-game series. And I question whether both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant can keep what they're doing up at this scale when you look at the minutes they're playing. And I'm more concerned about Kyrie Irving because of his role this year. I'm going Boston in five. Love it. Love it. Now we can go to Warriors Nuggets. What are your overarching thoughts on that series? I mean, what did the Warriors do against Nikola Jokic, who is apparently heading to his second straight MVP award and well-deserved MVP award? If they can figure him out. Not according out. to Drew Hanlon. <laughs> that's, that's true. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Is this an advanced analytics podcast or are we friendly here? Are we not friendly? I, I don't know what the... Uh, can you hit a left-handed layup in a free throw? Probably not, honestly. So I guess I'm not a real hooper. I can definitely hit a left-handed layup. I might be able to hit the free throw if I'm allowed to shoot it with my <laughs> left hand and make it a hook shot. There we go. Okay. The only thing in my repertoire is a left-handed hook shot. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, that's the key. If they, if the Warriors can somehow handle Jokic, any aspect of Jokic, whether scorer, rebounder, passer, if they can limit his effectiveness in even one of those three departments, they probably win the series going away. Um, but I mean, if Steph is not back or if he is limited in any way, it's much like Luca that, that at least opens the door for a Nuggets team that probably overachieved all year um, d- given the, the absences of Murray and Porter. And then, I mean, it, it does, you're right. It doesn't sound like either of those guys are going to come back, but I, I love that the playoffs just have like a bunch of these series where it's like, well, what if Kawhi all of a sudden comes back or like, what if Murray and Porter all, all of a sudden decide what if Ben Simmons plays like they're of just those, of those four. Kawhi, Porter Jr., Murray, and Ben Simmons. If you had to pick one, and I don't think I'm forgetting any like major injuries because Steph and Luca are going to play at some point. Yeah. Of those four, who would you deem most likely to return? God. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think Kawhi. I, it's just so hard to know. Like, it's Kawhi for me because I, I just I feel like there's a power vacuum in the West to where if – I think this the a full strength Warriors team is close to the Suns, but for me it is the Phoenix Suns and everybody else. Yeah. And if the Warriors look at all vulnerable at the start of like that, like if the Nuggets beat the Warriors or if they like got out to it, I could just see and the Clippers are in the playoffs. Let's just see at that point. 
I can just see quite like, yep, fuck it. I'm going to come back. <laughs> opportunity. The Warriors look a little weak. Um, if we can beat the Suns, we become title favorites. I wouldn't yeah. pick them to beat the Suns, but I'm just, that's my logic there. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be their hardest test. If they win the one eight, like they are probably cruising to the finals at that point. Yeah. I'm with you there, but I'm sorry for interrupting. That was just, yeah. we have so many of these like, Oh, will they, won't they? And they're not really looming over because let's just be honest. They won't. Right. But if they were, I think it would be Kawhi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I'm assuming neither of those, neither Murray and Porter play in this series, or if they do, they play very limited minutes. So, I mean, like the Nuggets bench was an absolute crime scene for the first half of the year. And then the addition of DeMarcus Cousins, the addition of Bryn Forbes and Bowens Highland, just really getting comfortable in his role has been a big thing for them. So, you know, I think... The Nuggets don't have the top end talent to compete with the Warriors outside of Jokic. So they're going to have to continue leaning on their depth. You know, how do the Warriors contain Jokic? I think is the single biggest question of the series from either side. Yeah, I, I'm assuming we're going to see a lot of Draymond Green on Jokic, but mm-hmm. I also, and I haven't decided on my X Factor just yet, but like it might be Kavon Looney, if only right. because is he going to use all six of his fouls to make life tough? on Jokic, but he will see time on because they're going to play green and Looney together. They're just, you know, and that's to probably help them on the, the defensive glass as well. They've generally been in a, like they've gotten by, excuse me, as defense, as a defensive rebounding team, but like that probably gets a lot harder if you're using Wiggins or, or Porter as your other guy next to, next to Draymond against a team with Jokic. So yeah. And I don't know how that looks, but I also wonder like, how does Jokic match up with the Warriors? who mm. like they're going to be you know they're like they move so fast even when they're not moving so fast so like they're eighth yeah. in average offensive possession time but i think that undersells how fast they can actually move in the half court and that like could make life difficult on him because as as good as he is on defense or as not bad as he is on defense like this is not great hands in the right spots but there are just some things where it's like if Steph turns a corner or if Jordan Poole turns a corner or if like Clay Thompson is flying around him and like the Warriors are forcing switches or setting these off ball screens. Like, what do you, what do you do? And so this feels like a, a uniquely bad matchup for both sides of the coin mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't know how you go about defending Jokic, but I also don't know that Jokic matches up all that well defensively against Golden State. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I mean, that's, if Looney's on the floor, that gives him an out, I think. So you know, how much do we see of the quote unquote, like death lineup 2.0 or 3.0 where they do, you know, Steph, Clay, Poole, Wiggins, and Dre just to give Jokic nowhere to hide defensively. We're just assuming like who gets the primary Steph assignment. Do we just assume that it's Aaron Gordon? I I guess. I mean, I, the Nuggets don't really have a good option. Uh, I mean, Gordon, I, yeah. Cause like, Jeff Green maybe gets a little bit of time on him, but I don't love that. Will Barton, Monte Morris, like this is another one. It's similar to Brooklyn Boston, where it's like the Warriors have a lot of potentially good answers for the Nuggets. The Nuggets do not have a ton of good answers for the Warriors. I'm wondering how big the Nuggets bench becomes in this. Just if we assume that Jokic plays 40 minutes, mm-hmm. um, how do they how do they go about? Like, are we going to see some of the smaller front courts then? where it's Jeff Green is the five, and maybe Jermichael Green kind of falls by the wayside, or maybe do you go go to a Jeff Green, Jermichael Green combination here 
Um, I'd be more intrigued by like one of the greens and then Aaron Gordon as sort of populating yeah. your front court in those minutes. Uh, because the Warriors just like Wiseman's not, we already know he's not going to play this season. And whether it's Looney or whether it's Draymond, like you're not going to have, uh, like the Warriors aren't going to have this traditional, but you're not going to worry about Bielita either. So they're not going to have this traditional big in the middle. And that could provide a unique opportunity, I think, for the bench in many ways. Um, also, because if you're, I don't know how you're mirroring the non-Steph minutes for the Warriors. The Warriors offense is back to being a disaster without Steph Curry. I know Jordan Poole has come on. Clay Thompson has been great over his last 10 games or so. But since Seth, uh, Seth, Steph Curry um, went down, and there's a lot of noise in this because of the teams they faced and also who they played, but the Warriors are 25th in points scored per possession. Like that is Steph Curry's MVP case right there. Like you don't even need to off differentials that you took this dude away and the offense still imploded while you had two guys playing their best basketball of the season, at least for Clay Thompson, certainly. Um, and like, how are you getting by if you're the Warriors in those minutes? I'm assuming it's a lot of Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson, but do you have like, is that, is that enough? Just because Clay Thompson has been so good, but I feel like he's gotten better. And in part, because like, he's just not forcing it as much. He doesn't feel like he's putting the ball on the floor as much. And without Steph Curry and the threat of him doing literally everything, whether he has the ball or not, like you do need some of that on ball jet fuel it's not newsflash. It's not going to be Andrew Wiggins. Like, let's just, let's not pretend. That <laughs> All-star starter, Andrew Wiggins. Thank yeah, you. excuse me. All-star starter, Andrew Wiggins. It's going to be Jordan Poole then. Yeah. And like, yeah, and they've been pretty religious about like, we're not going to see a lot of Dre without Steph. Like those are two right. that are good. Maybe it's different in the playoffs, but those are two players that we're going to see a lot of time together. And so does that, it, I guess it, I'm asking questions about both. I don't want to call it their benches because like we're involving Clay Thompson and like, I don't, like Jordan Poole's like just been one of their most important players all season. And it's not even depth overall, but like some of the non, I guess I'm questioning what the non-star minutes look like for both teams. You take Steph off the court, you take Jokic off the court, who has the edge like in that scenario, not even head to head, but like who, whose rotation do you trust more without their star in it? Yeah. I mean, again, I think the Warriors have more top end talent, even with sans Steph, stands Jokic. Like, you feel better if it's like clay and pool anchoring than I, I don't even know who would be anchoring for the, the war or for the nuggets. But I will say bones Highland, maybe is spoiling my X factor here, but like, I don't even know if he would be my X factor for the series, but he is the exact type of guy where it's like, this guy can hit three or four threes in three minutes. And all of a sudden the 12 point lead is gone. So, like, he is very capable of swinging a game. Like, I would trust Poole more over the course of a series, but, like, Highland is the exact type of guy that the Nuggets will need to spring an upset. And just to back up my point, the Warriors were almost league average on offense when Steph and Poole played without Curry this season. 112.2 points per 100, 47th percentile. You'll take those minutes, but there are some lineup combinations and i think you know there's the starting lineup without steph was just awful minus mm-hmm. that lineup was minus 34.8 per 100 um and so you had someone you put in auto porter like that helped it out a little bit but the the non-steph questions for me are there but i'm also with you that they do seem to have the more just like established 
supporting cast there. And I'm just question. I'm also questioning how much do we see the Nuggets rely on Bowens Highland in this series? Is there the stigma of it felt like Michael Malone put him into the lineup by necessity? Like per- mm-hmm. the personnel demanded it. Is he going to keep him there, playing the the type of minutes that he has been playing and I would argue you probably should just do that because as you mentioned, you start to run out of options pretty quickly. I don't even know what to buy you time in this matchup. Like what is the Nuggets' best lineup without Jokic? And I don't I don't want to say that like this focus too much on the no Jokic minutes. Like series can be won or lost during those six to eight minute total stints per game. Right. We saw it with we've seen it with Joel Embiid a couple of times. God, Lord knows we have. Yeah. I mean I think Highland, especially over the final month, like starting March, the second was their first game in March. But so this is the final 20 games of the season. You know, he shot 47.8 overall, 41.2 from three, average 14 points per game. I think he's their most reliable bench scorer at this point, which is crazy to say about a rookie who was selected late in the first round. But like you go down the list, it's like, well, do you trust him more than Austin Rivers at this point? Probably so, you know, like PJ Dozier is not there for a ton of offense. I, I don't even want to mention Facundo Campazzo in, in fear of Nuggets fans. You know, Bryn Forbes is there as well. I think he'll play an important role. But I think especially if you are just trying to keep pace with a nuclear Warriors offense, you're going to need big contributions from your bench and from guys like Bones and Bryn. And then, hey, like we maybe do we see a Demarcus Cousins revenge series? Like I no. think, I feel like he's like a like is he going to be a non? I was going to ask you who you like who becomes more important to the series, Demarcus Cousins, Austin Rivers, or Bryn Forbes? <laughs> I I hope for the Nuggets' sake, I hope it is not Austin Rivers. I think it's going to be Austin Rivers. Oh boy, that's going to be rough. It depends on you know if you're get you have Will Barton. Maybe yeah. Aaron Gordon's giving more on offense, and if Bones Island is killing it, maybe you're less relying on him. But I think it's going to be Austin Rivers. It's very possible. I will say, I think, given the the Warriors' lack of size, and you know, with Draymond, it does it has not mattered, and it will never matter. But like, they don't have a ton of rotation guys above six, seven, six, eight. Honestly, so like, I think one of the keys to beating them is just destroying them on the glass, making sure you're limiting them to one shot opportunity. Cause if, you know, if you're giving clay, Steph, Jordan Poole second or third chances on a possession, it's not, not going to add up in your favor over the course of the series. So that is one area where I could see boogie helping out, but you know, if the warrior, like if, if they can match boogie with looney outside of starting minutes like maybe that's it gives him a place to hide but if he's going against you know bielitsa that he's just you don't want him scrambling out to the perimeter like that and i'm interested i don't think they're gonna go this deep in their bench but do the warriors break out kuminga at all because he's a guy that the nuggets just seem to have no answer for especially if aaron gordon's preoccupied with Steph. And that's what I was also going to, because once you get beyond Looney, like what are you doing with those minutes alongside Draymond Green or how are you populating the front court? Uh, There's Draymond and Looney separate, of course, but like Otto Porter. And then like, couldn't we see Kaminga in this series? Maybe I think so. I hope so. Cause I, I mean, he's, 
especially over the second half of the season, he he popped, man. Like he he showed that he is deserving of a rotation spot. He's not, you know, not gonna play like 30 plus minutes per game, but yeah, why not? Especially if the if the Nuggets try to go big with Boogie. Like you, you don't have a ton of big options and you know his athleticism alone is really gonna give the Nuggets a lot of trouble, I think. Who has is this more of a Jonathan Kaminga or Gary Payton the second series? Ooh. Ooh. I'll answer mine first and you may read. Okay. I think okay. it might be Kaminga. And I know that Gary Payton's spot in the rotation has been, let's say, unstable, even though I think he he's been huge for the Warriors. And you know, when you do your six man of the year ballots, he shouldn't win, but like he was in my honorable mentions for it. Mm-hmm. The Nuggets don't have like that dangerous point of attack score. If Jamal yeah. Murray or even Michael Porter Jr. was playing, I might go with Gary Payton the second, but because even if you just need bodies to throw at Jokic or fouls, I could see it being, I would probably pick like Otto Porter Jr. getting that before Kaminga maybe, but it feels like this would be more of a Kaminga series than a, just because of the way the Nuggets are built, more of a Kaminga series than a Gary Payton the second series. And look, even if it's just a matter of like the secondary front court minutes where it's, oh, you're trying to match up with um, Jeff Green or I don't even, I feel like Zeke Naji's not going to play much this series, mostly because he's coming off that, that injury. But like, if you have to match up with like one of the green brothers or is Aaron Gordon, all of a sudden, like the four or, or something. So I th- I think I don't feel too confident in it, but I think this is more of a Kaminga series. Yeah. I mean, especially on the off chance that Michael Porter Jr. Returns, he'd be instantly one of the best options there. And you're right. I mean, Monte Morris isn't that guy like bones is more of a three point threat than he is. You know, he's not going to like beat you off the dribble a ton, or if he does, you have Draymond there lurking. So yeah, probably more also someone that I think clay and even Jordan pool. Like if you don't want to trade off the offense, yeah, they can still handle that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would agree. It's probably more of a Kaminga series, but I, I have no sense of how deep, Steve Kerr is going to go to his bench. Like, I mean, that, I guess that's part of the risk or the trouble with Clay. Like, you, you know, this is not prime Clay Thompson, and especially coming off of both of those injuries. Like, I don't know that you can ramp him up to 40 plus minutes a game. And Steph coming off of his injury, like, is he ready to play 40 minutes per game right off the bat? So that may be one area, one advantage for the Nuggets that, like, their guys, like they can lead more heavily on the starters if they need to, than I think the Warriors probably can. Who, with that in mind, who is your X factor for? Let's start with the Warriors here. Probably Clay. Is that unfair? Is he like too high profile of a X factor? I, I, I think because there's like so much variability now caked into his performances, at least in theory. Um, because if you're, do you expect the Clay Thompson that you've seen over the past few weeks? I, it's fair if you do, but I also get if you maybe wouldn't. And then like sort of the other part of all this though, is his role defensively has changed. Like his matchup difficulty per B-ball index is lower. His positional versatility, he's he's classified as a wing stopper where he's probably in years past. I should look this up before I'm spouting it was more of like a point of attack guy. Mm-hmm. Like what are I guess it's not as important in this series just because we already mentioned that you know Bones Highland Monte Morris are those guys going to instill fear. 
in right. you is like from the from the point of attack. I I honestly don't know, but yeah, I think I think it's totally fair to say uh, Clay. Yeah, I mean it's uh, part of it again. Well, is- by the way, he's actually had more positional defensive versatility this year um, than in the previous two seasons he played for me. Oh, and he's and always that's... been classified as a wing stopper, which is actually, that did, it surprised me a little bit just because we've seen him so much guard the other team's like best ball handler. Yeah, that does surprise me. And, and I, a lot of it is like, which clay are you going to get? Are you going to get the last couple weeks? Are you going to get, well, you know, I think hopefully what we saw early on where he was a lot more inconsistent, he's shaken off of the rust. He played 32 games. Like, I don't think he's going to be the clay of old, but he's still a high volume, very efficient three point shooter. And that's not going to change. It's just how many minutes can he play and how does he handle his matchup defensively? Like, I I think he will be fine. And I think that will work out in the Warriors favor, but you just, you don't know with someone who, you know, we've seen play games of basketball in three years. Who are you throwing on Clay? Who are you throwing on Jordan Poole? And if yeah. the Warriors have those two playing with Steph for stretches, like what is Denver's answer? Right. I mean, because you, you can, like, where is Monte Morris in that scenario? Because if you have Aaron Gordon on Steph, maybe you do Will Barton on Clay, and I don't love that. Or you have to do, you have to do Monte on Jordan Poole. I think that would be what you have. I'm trying to think of, like, is this an, is this Austin Rivers breaking case? I don't think he's going to give you that much more resistance that you take Will Barton off the court or Monte Morris, for that matter. I mean, right. you run out of options there really yeah. quick. I that could be another question: is if Steph is available, like how much do we see the three guard lineup versus this version of the Nuggets? I would imagine a lot because I think it is going to force the Nuggets into kind of a breaking point, unless you know, barring. Murray or Michael Porter Jr. coming back. And also, they've been a plus 33.6 uh, per 100 on the floor oh, together. That's all? Yeah, I don't know who to pick for my X Factor. I want, I get Clay. I also thought about Jordan Poole just because there mm-hmm. are just going to be minutes where Steph Curry is not on the floor, even if he's playing. And can you be even close to net neutral during those? A lot of that's going to fall on Poole. I thought about like Porter or Kaminga because of the secondary big minutes they're going to have to log. I refuse to pick Andrew Wiggins, even though if he's giving you anything on offense or is sort of a, a weak side rebounder, that's a huge X factor. Sure. I think I'm just going to settle on Kevon Looney because on an individual possession basis, he's going to spend the most time on Nikola Jokic. And that is the Warriors' biggest question. They might have fewer questions to answer than Denver in this series, but it is their biggest one. And I'm not saying he's the quintessential answer but if draymond green is able to continue captaining the entire defense and he's more of someone who helps out with Jokic and then does everything else it probably gives you a better shot uh so how much are we going to see kavan looney he is going to be again when he's on the floor like that's your primary option against Jokic. and then just what does what does that look like yeah i mean if if the three guards plus wiggins plus dre lineup can hold their own against Jokic, that's probably curtains for the nuggets so they they need to hope that Jokic destroys those lineups, forces them into playing Looney more, and then you know he destroys those lineups as well. Denver is X factor. Got to be Aaron Gordon, right? I think. I mean, just given his importance defensively in this series, and then also 
what do they get out of him offensively? Like Jokic is incredible and he's going to get his, but he needs a secondary scorer unless Murray or Porter come back. Barton, Morris, Highlands will all give them something. Jeff Green will give them a little bit, but they need like a clear cut number two guy. So Gordon is just going to have a huge role on both ends of the floor here. And if he comes up short on either end, probably not looking great for the Nuggets. I went with Will Barton, who I feel like we haven't talked about much on this because I, for, basically for all the reasons you mentioned about the offense is maybe he's one that's tasked with running some more Nicole Jokic's, Jokic-less units, or is it just Aaron Gordon has cooled off a bunch, or he, excuse me, Will Barton has cooled off a bunch since the trade deadline. Like If he can play better, uh, that's huge for your offense. We also have to believe that I think Golden State understands that you can't lose track of Monte Morris in the half court anymore because that dude can stroke it from long range and and mid-range, and there might be more of a focus on containing him at points. Um, but also, just if you need, like who, let, let's be honest, who is their best point of attack playmaker right now? Is it Monte Morris? Is it Bones Highland? Or is it Will Barton? And even, let's, we can obfuscate the point of attack definition because I know like none of those guys meet the bill there. <laughs> I, would, I would argue, if you want to go with best, Maybe Bones Highland, just because there's more unpredictability, at least aesthetically, when I'm watching him, functionally watching him. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's actually Will Barton. Yeah, I, I, I think especially like because Bones again, it's he's more of a three point threat, I think, than Barton. Although like the shot distribution would reflect it this year, but you map it on a per minute basis, it would. Barton is definitely more of a guy who is going to attack you off the dribble. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much success he's going to have doing that in this series, but if he is, that it's a great shout as an X factor because that that could be just you know they need something other than okay, Jokic to do everything. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, predictions. This one's tough without knowing it's similar to like the Luca Dallas thing without knowing exactly what to expect out of Steph early on, like fully healthy Steph game one, probably warriors in five or six. And given the wild card of a potential Murray and Porter return, although I don't think it's especially likely I'm going to go the cowards way and say warriors in seven. I'm going to say warriors in six. I think they're that problematic of a matchup for for Denver. And I don't look yeah. forward to the discourse surrounding Nicole Jokic if he gets bounced in the first round again. The MVP is a regular season award, and let's not pretend that the Nuggets are anything close to, to full strength here. Uh, I think he is a fraud, and real hoopers know that. KD, especially. Shout out to I, Kevin Durant. How is Joel Embiid not the MVP when he won the scoring title? That's just the only How know. is he not the MVP? You, you tell me. Speaking. Of Joel Embiid, we move, we close with the Six oh. Raptors, the final playoff series that has been set, and I think the one I'm most excited to watch, both because of the matchup chess on paper, but also because of like how nuclear things could get if the Sixers play <laughs> really poorly, and you're dealing yeah. with James Harden's upcoming free agency and Doc Rivers' future. Uh, we know that you're secretly rooting for the Raptors because you want a new head coach in Philly. Right. Lakers fans should definitely be rooting for the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, they should. What 
just take me. You are like the best person to have on for this specific series. Like, what are you just thinking leading into it? Aside from that, Matisse Seibel should just get uh, the booster. For sure. Yeah. Oh, he got he got one shot. He just didn't get the second one. Uh, I I just have a pit of dread in my stomach about this series. Like, maybe it's. I mean, the regular season, the Raptors won three one. The last two games they played within the past month. James Harden, like after the James Harden trade, you just have to throw out, you know, full regular season results for the Sixers don't matter because everything before James Harden's debut, who cares? They're a totally different team now. Uh, they played twice in the last month, lost both times. Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi missed both of those games. So assuming those guys are back and, you know, I don't think they're going to be fully healthy, but playing, uh, certainly concerning based on what we've seen recently. Um, the Raptors, I, I mean, I've been talking about, you know, matchups kind of dictating, uh, you know, whether who wins a playoff series. And the Raptors just feel like a really effing bad match. The Sixers, for a number of reasons, they don't have a clear answer for Joel Embiid. So that is where if you're pathing, mapping out a path with Sixers victory, it is Joel Embiid, using the spite that he feels about Nikola Jokic winning MVP for the second straight season to just do like drop 40, 20 every game. Cause that's honestly what they're going to need out of him. But this version of James Harden, can he beat switches? I, I don't know anymore, which is very concerning. Uh, and if he can't, the Raptors have no shortage of six, eight, six, nine guys that they can throw at him. They, they learned their lesson. I mean, like teams early on were blitzing Harden and daring someone else to beat them. And the Sixers are very capable of doing that. But if you can just switch between, you know, OG, Scotty, and Pascal on Harden and he can't beat those guys off the dribble, it's going to be a long series for the Sixers. Yeah, there's. I will still maintain that the attention James Harden draws feels like it's still been important to the supplementary offensive players looking at Maxi and even Tobias Harris, who we both last time you were on this podcast, we absolutely destroyed his performance on the court. And he's he's somewhat suddenly turned things around. But yeah, I don't like the Raptors are built to make life difficult, even on a team that has just James Harden being James Harden. And we saw it in their most recent matchup where it's like, no, they're not going to keep the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands, but they're going to make you run through a zillion different labyrinths to get the ball to him. And that's going to burn time off the shot clock. Um, they have the ability to throw multiple bodies at him if they want. And you can't, like, who are you hunting on this team? Like, oh, Precious Achua is on James Harden? They don't fucking care. They probably want that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there, there is no weak link defensively, or not, at least not one that they can target. Whereas, I mean, the Raptors in the fourth quarter of that game recently really went after Tyrese Maxey. Like they put Embiid on Siakam and then they just spammed Siakam, Gary Trent Jr. pick and rolls and went right after Maxey. So that is another concern. I mean, Maxey is going to be, you know, is great offensively and has settled into the number three option probably better than anyone could have anticipated. But you know, are they going to be able to play him off the floor? Like, are they going to just, I don't think they will like to the extent that the Sixers literally take him off the floor because they don't have a better option, but can they figure out a way to protect him 
from getting you know roasted as an individual defender. How big is Tybal's absence in the games that take place in Toronto, knowing that Philly's, I guess, like their weakest like defensive link is their ability to probably defend in transition, I would argue. Yeah. Uh, and now not having him, is this just like Danny Green needs to wind back the clock a half decade? How does like what is the what is the answer? Yeah, I mean they just don't have another wing defender. It's like Shake Milton is gonna play the most minutes at that position. Um, otherwise it is Furkan Korkmaz or like Charlie Brown Jr., who I think is on a two way and isn't even eligible for the playoffs now that I think about it. Um so yeah, I mean I think it's it's big, but you know, who were we talking about earlier? Oh, Boston with like, you know, does Robert Williams injury actually force them into the best lineup for this specific matchup? And I do wonder if Thibel's decision not to get vaccinated or not to get fully vaccinated also made Doc Rivers stumble ass backwards into the best possible lineup for this series. Because I think Danny Green, you know, when Thibel's on the court, they, the Raptors just completely ignore him. They, right. They're like, all right, cool. If you want to shoot threes, great. We're going to sag so far off of you to clog up driving lanes and to throw help at Joel Embiid. We don't care. You you can take a hundred threes. We will like we'll live with the result, especially over a seven game series. Danny Green not nearly as good defensively as Thibel or you know at what he was in his prime, but a much much better shooter. So the offensive spacing, I think, is going to be a lot better. With that said, yeah, it's a concern, especially if Danny gets into foul trouble. Because, again, they just don't really have any other options. I will say the thing that works in their favor in that regard is the Raptors don't have that, like, elite wing scorer, like Kevin Durant, the Tatum, the, yeah, you know, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. So, like, they... It, not that Thibault or Green could have handled someone like that anyway, but the Raptors might not have the personnel to exploit his absence in that way. Who's the person you're throwing Thibault on when he's playing? Is it even, like is it Fred Van Vliet? It's not Fred Van Vliet, is it? I, yeah, I mean, because Fred's been just so inconsistent with that knee injury since the All-Star break, so maybe OG Ananobi? I don't know. He's also been banged up a lot. He was playing yeah. really well. Yeah. I mean, it's the Raptors are going to be fascinating because I just don't know who they threw. Like, they started <laughs> Siakam, Precious Achua, Scotty Barnes, and Kemp Birch, and then Gary Trent Jr. in that game the other day. So I think that means Scotty Barnes. Alert, that lineup struggled to score. It, it did, but I think that means Scotty Barnes played at the two, like started at the two. So I I'm interested to see you who they trot out in their starting five. Ken Birch had no chance against Embiid. I don't think he plays a ton in this series. And they're going to have a short bench, like I think Thad and Chris Boucher, and that's probably all she wrote there. Um, but, I, I mean, I think the Raptors, like that. it's similar where the Sixers have better top-end talent, but I think the Raptors match up better against the Sixers than the Sixers do the Raptors. Do you have any like thoughts on how the Sixers can try and navigate? I don't want to say the non-star minutes, but the way they're going to stagger their stars. You wrote about this for Forbes, and I knew that the hardened maxi minutes without Embiid were terrible. Um, I did not realize that the Embiid maxi minutes without 
or excuse me, the Harden without Maxi or Embiid minutes since they were originally tethering those two together were bad. I had no, I didn't look enough to see that the Embiid Maxi minutes without Harden weren't that great yeah. either. And so, like, what is the course of action here for for Doc Rivers? <laughs> Pray. <laughs> Uh, whatever his gut instinct says, do the other thing. <laughs> that's, that's probably, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I think, you know, you have to space the floor. So I think probably shake Yang and Danny Green with Embiid and Maxi would make the most sense. Um, and then, you know, the, the backup big question for Philly is going to be looming large in this series as well. Doc very condescendingly said that, you know, when, when the opponent has a small backcourt, they're going to go Paul Reed. And then when they have a big backcourt, they're going to go Andre Drummond, which makes sense. And that's what people have been clamoring for as while we've been watching DeAndre Jordan you know, trot his lifeless corpse up and down the court for a month. But Doc had not been doing that up until the last couple of games. Um, so like, I, I think... Reed is going to play in this series. I don't think DeAndre should or is going to very much. I mean, in the game, um, the the previous game, not the one recently, he played 11 minutes and was a minus 10, and they lost by five. So <laughs> that, that speaks. And somehow I don't think it accurately captured how bad DeAndre Jordan was in this matchup. So I think we see not a lot of Paul Reed because you're going to play a beat 40 minutes or so. but. We'll see Paul Reed for the backup big minutes. Um, you know, Doc has talked about like the concern about him getting into foul trouble. It's like, bro, he's playing 10 minutes a game. Is he really going to rack up six fouls in 10 minutes? Or if he does, like, okay, dust off DeAndre Jordan or dust off Paul Millsap for like two minutes if you need to. But give Paul Reed the first crack at the backup big, and I think I think he will. What was the what was the quote he had the other night on Paul Reed? It was like, "This is not the Paul. The Paul we're not going to make Vic- this the Paul Reed show." <laughs> the, the Paul Reed victory tour. Oh, the Paul victory tour. Like, <laughs> uh, is there moving this to the Raptors? Is there like an element of they could hamper themselves in this series because even over this elite stretch that they've had, which has basically lasted half the season at this point. Their half-court offense has not been great. Um, they're relying on cleaning up a lot of misses or getting out in transition. Again, I don't know that it'll be a problem to get out in transition against Philly. They are um, around league average in three-point efficiency during this stretch, but they're also 26th in three-point attempt rate. Like They're just not locked and loaded with a lot of shooters, in part mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned, they're not playing lineups with a ton of shooters. If their full cast is available, and I'm looking at their injury report right now, I'm not used to seeing no current injuries for any team, let alone the Raptors, but no current <laughs> injuries to report, believe it or not. Uh, but I know Siakam is different. Like, this isn't the same player who couldn't dribble, it felt like, in a straight line against Boston in 2020. There's more directionality to his drives, better decision-making. He is just a much better player than he was then. And you still do have Fred Van Fleet, who I feel like has done better in the like point guardish type of role. Um, where he needs to have more influence over the offense. You've run reps through Scotty Barnes in crunch time, and there's been some flashes there. Gary Trent Jr. can be electric, but there's still just something about this half-court offense that feels, if not solvable, like it can it, that it can go through slumps of its own accord. And I do sure. think a lot of that has to do with 
like Nick Nurse, and this is probably because when you look at the bench, there just aren't any secondary creators. Some of these units he's running out, they're not built to score. Like he's just egregiously yeah. saying, like, we're going to play a bunch of like-sized guys and it's going to hurt our offense, but that's just what we're going to do. Does that give you any hope if you're the Sixers or are we past the point of where we should actually be concerned about the aesthetics of Toronto's offense a lot of the time? Yeah, it doesn't give me a ton of hope because I think they're just going to lean even more heavily on that starting group. And it's not like the Sixers bench has been any better. Like the Sixers are also a very top-heavy group. Great. They're going to play their top four. And Thad's know. been at least like you can point to that guy coming off the bench and playing really well. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think like, Boucher too. Yeah, and Boucher, I was going to say. And the Sixers, it's like, well... <laughs> George, like George Niang, I think, is your... He will be a consistent member off the bench and he will knock down some big shots at times uh, it was Furcon in like october november right? yeah <laughs> and like shake is finding his footing lately matisse will play in the games in philly presumably i think they're going to just keep danny in the starting lineup the whole time i don't think they want to go no. back and forth um but yeah other than that it's like pray pray john hollinger was right about paul reed last thing before x factors the sixers will win this series if James Harden is James Harden. Would you even guarantee that they win if James Harden is James Harden? And yeah. let's not let's make it not playoff James Harden, but right. like regular season James Harden. No, because Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers versus Nick Nurse is the biggest mismatch. We've discussed a lot of mismatches on this episode. That is the single biggest mismatch in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I look. I've just very much the Raptors just do things on defense with lineups that I hate that I don't understand that tend to work out. So yeah. I agree with you there. Who is your X factor for the Sixers in this series? Danny Green. I I think we just especially given the absence of Matisse, if he is able to play, like I just don't know if he's able to play forty minutes a game over the course of the series, and I think they're going to need him to. Um, you know, Tobias is another one. You mentioned him earlier. Like he really struggled in those first couple games with Harden, but has gotten so much better lately. Like he finally, after two years of Doc Rivers just begging him to catch and shoot, he finally is just catching and shooting now. So, you know, he's going to have to, Lord knows they have, the Raptors have no shortage of six, eight guys. So he's going to have to take on someone. Um, I don't know. If they'll start, I guess if they start their normal five, the Raptors do, and Bede will start on Siakam, and then Tobias is probably on Scotty Barnes. Um, but then that probably means Danny Green on OG, and then, yeah, like where do you hide Harden? Maybe you hide Harden on OG and put Danny Green on Gary Trent, and then Maxi on Fred Van Fleet. Like, this is another one where it feels like the Raptors have more. Uh, like more answers against the Sixers and the Sixers do the Raptors. And that's not even including the coaching. The, my factor for them was Tobias Harris. Um, you laid out basically why on offense, like if he's going to play, like he's been playing, that'll be huge for them. And I guess it's not necessarily, I mean, they need it. If James Harden is going to be hitting shots like this, he's going to get rid of the ball. Tobias Harris is going to be open. He's to make shots. But I'm also like, you mentioned him defending Scotty Barnes based off some of the lineups that Nick nurse is going to throw out there. There are going to be reps where he has to guard Pascal Siakam, probably. And I've also just wondered, and I don't know how out there this is, but like given some of the lineups that the Raptors throw out there, like is there a like Tobias Harris at center scenario here that the Sixers should be exploring if they just refuse to break out Paul Reed? 
I think they're going to break out Paul Reed. They did in the last game and they they have over the last couple of games of the season. But it, like I would much rather see a Tobias and Yang front court than I would DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan has absolutely no place in this series. And if he plays a single minute, Doc Rivers is point shaving. <laughs> You're a factor for the Raptors. <laughs> I mean, where do you even like any of the guy? I mean, Siakam's too important. Fred Van Vliet. He's like too important to be an X factor, but like if he's hampered at all, I is at least something I will be keeping an eye on. I think probably I'm split between OG and Scotty Barnes just because they can do everything. And, you know, what we haven't seen a ton of OG lately. I mean, I know he came back for a couple of games at the end of the season, but. Um, you know, otherwise, like, missed a ton of time right after the All Star break. So he looked fine, but I'm just going to keep an eye on, like, does that finger injury hamper him at all? And then Scotty can is just like so versatile. Right. So, depending on who's guarding him, whether it's Tobias or Danny Green at first, you know, can, can he make them pay for that? Because if he can, then the Sixers just don't have answers <laughs> up and down the lineup. And this is going to be a shorter se- series than I think a lot of us are expecting. I went with OG as well, just because it feels like, not that he's unknown, but like he's just dealt with so many stop and starts yeah. this season. Um, I did entertain Scotty Barnes also because it's like, is does he see time on Joel Embiid in this series? I guess functionally he should not, but he might see time on everybody. Mm-hmm. And he's also the first rookie since... I think Damian Lillard um, to average over 35 minutes a game in over 70 um, appearances. So like, this is someone who has played a lot. Like, is the rookie wall ever going to be a thing with him? Or is he just going to be, I know he struggled at some point in the season, but also just like, can he shoulder that workload in the playoffs? But I, I think it's just OG Ananobi, maybe because, maybe because I'm curious more than anything yeah. else about what he's going to look like if he's playing heavy minutes over a consistent period of time. Yeah, for sure. Predictions. <sighs> I'm going Raptors in six. I'm going to go Raptors in seven. I came dangerously close to predicting the Raptors to come out of the East for Bleacher Report, but yeah. I, I, um, I, I flaked on that prediction. There's just we went over it. There's so many matchup problems here, and it's to the. I'm not going to assume that James Harden doesn't make his shots in this series, or it looks like he's moving really slow. Even if you told me that he's great. I don't know that the Sixers are deep enough to overcome just the breadth of different looks the Raptors can throw at them, who are not particularly deep themselves, but like their top seven guys are going to just wreak hell on defense for Philly. Yeah. I mean, the Sixers are just so not flexible in what they can do. Like their personnel is just not flexible, especially with Matisse being out for at least or four, three of these. That was the other thing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, like, I think I'm guessing they split the first two in Philly Toronto wins three and four back home without Matisse Sixers win game five. And then the Raptors close them out in six. Cause yeah, I mean, the Raptors can throw out so many different styles of lineups and Nick nurse is so creative and you know, who like willing to throw a box in one, like who knows what they're going to be able to do. The Sixers, I will say, uh, shout out to Austin Krell of the Painted Lions for this idea. Um, the Raptors have struggled against zone this year, and the Sixers have been more willing to do it than they have in years past. So, like, I, I as much as it's easy to poke fun at Doc Rivers and to you know 
pray for him to be the coach of the Lakers next year. Like this is a big Doc Rivers series. Like if he's going to be going against one of the smartest, most innovative coaches in the NBA, he has the top end talent advantage, but like the matchups do not favor the Sixers here. So can he junk this up and, you know, force the Raptors half court offense to sputter, I think is one of the biggest questions. Ryan, this was great. Thank you so much for going in detail on every series that we know about uh, heading into to Thursday. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at B-Toporek, so B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. Uh, I cover mostly the Sixers, but some also some salary cap stuff at Forbes Sports, so I'll be doing a bunch of stuff heading into free agency. Um, and then you can find my podcast, the NBA podcast, wherever podcasts are found. And Dan, thank you as always for having me on. I will be, I'm happy to come back in two weeks to celebrate Doc Rivers' newest job with the Lakers. <laughs> thank you again, Brian. As you know, I'll be pestering you again. Please, please do, please do. <laughs>